All right. As we uh, begin to reopen the economy slowly and try and get back to some sort of uh, normalcy in our lives, I-18 public health and infectious disease experts have signed an open letter to the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, and all the premiers, and they're recommending that Canada shift to minimizing, not eradicating COVID-19. Dr. Martha Fulford, disease specialist and associate professor at McMaster University, has been on the show before. She's back, and she has... Uh, added her signature to this open letter. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fulford. Thank you very much. So what exactly is the recommendation? The recommendation is that we need to look to the future in terms of coexisting with COVID and minimizing all the other uh, harm that is accumulating because of this prolonged uh, shutdown. The goal of eliminating COVID to uh, almost every infectious disease specialist that I'm aware of is an extremely unrealistic goal. And it's one that would come at the expense of significant other health consequences. So it would be much better, we think, to say, yes, COVID is here. It's extremely unfortunate, but we can't change it. Let's move forward now and figure out how we can minimize the impact of COVID but also minimize the rest of the damage. And for example, the one that I think keeps me awake at night is the horrendous implication that this is having for our children. Schools should be reopened in September with no further discussion. The, the damage to, the ch- to a child's education and future is incalculable, and that will last for a generation and for the future of our province and our country. Not to mention the impact on a single parent, on people who may have to quit their jobs, on unemployment, on financial insecurity, because if children aren't back at school, parents can't work. And so when we start to look at harm or we consider risks, we we must look beyond COVID. The numbers from COVID are very low in Canada right now. It's time to regroup and think of our future. And the future has to include all aspects of health. It has to include our mental health. It has to include our physical health. It has to include the future health of our children. And if the only thing we ever pay any attention to is COVID, then the long-term harm and the uh, health impact and the deaths will be far greater than COVID will ever would have caused to our population. Dr. Fulford, when we started with the lockdowns, the message from the government was we need to flatten the curve so that, you know, our ICU emergency rooms um, won't be overwhelmed with too many cases at once. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I don't recall the government's ever shifting focus to eradicating the virus. And I, I, I too, am puzzled by this. I actually still agree with the original focus of flattening the curve. That original uh, shutdown when we didn't know what we were going to be facing, and we clearly needed to ensure that anybody who required hospitalization uh, could be accommodated was a very reasonable goal. We are far into this now. In Hamilton, for example, we don't have a single patient in our hospital admitted with COVID at the moment, and we have no outbreaks. Um, this is this is amazing, and that should still be our goal. We should be looking forward to ensuring that we are protecting protecting the people we now know are vulnerable, which are the elderly, unfortunately, and, and people with certain comorbidities. Um, but we should also be celebrating and, and educating our population on what we've discovered regarding who is not at risk. One of the extremely good news stories is that children are almost 
not impacted at all by this, which is... What about the Kawasaki-type syndrome that we're, we're seeing with some children? Is, is it just well, that it's very few? It's very few, and actually, we've not had a single one. Okay. That's and, interesting. And, again, and it, it also has to be put in the context, because this is the first time in my career as a physician, and I'm kind of old, that... Um, <laughs> Well, maybe not that old, but I'm, I'm, you know, I've been in practice well over 20 years. Okay. We see Kawasaki every single year, and it doesn't normally hit every headline in the world. Mm. And so, so I do find it a little bit unusual because post-infectious syndromes do happen, and they will continue to happen. But we shouldn't let a very rare post-infectious syndrome stop us from educating an entire generation of children. Let um, me ask you. After influenza, uh, we don't shut down because of influenza. Right. Let me ask you a question about the the latest. I mean, the World Health Organization now starting to walk back the um, idea that they felt that aerosols um, were not tra- a, a way that the COVID-19 was transmitted or could be um, uh, contracted. Where where do we sit on that? What's the latest as far as uh, our health organizations? We're splitting hairs. This is spread by droplets. Now, droplets come from different sizes. And the issue is to, to what extent that they are transmitted. Uh, there may be very exceptional cases, but usually these are medically induced procedures where we can create aerosols. But it's true that maybe you got 239 scientists to sign that letter. I think if you look at the list of those scientists, there are very few actual infectious disease or medical microbiologists on it. But I think more important is what happened to the other 150,000, 200,000 scientists who didn't sign on? And it's always very difficult to sort of try to get a balance. We know a lot about infectious diseases. We know a lot about how they're transmitted. We have lots of evidence from around the world that this is not an airborne transmitted infection. And it is it gets confusing, and we can argue, is it one meter or is it two meters? But it's certainly not more than that. And okay. and this would be in the high-risk intensive care unit type setting that I'm even discussing that. So what we need to do to mitigate COVID-19 is we need to continue with our proper hand hygiene. We have to continue yes. with safe social distancing um, and limiting yeah. the number of people that we socialize with at once, you know, keeping that social bubble, which doesn't change. It stays at 10. Yeah. You're urging governments to uh, carefully re- relax restrictions. Can you give us an idea of what you and the other signatories feel is possible? Like, what could we be looking at moving ahead so that we can kind of function beyond school? Because we've already covered that, that we can function in a s- sort of normal well, I, way. I, I, Something that I've been, uh, I've advocated in other venues is that we could easily create a red, yellow, green risk assessment tool for people. Canadians are not stupid. We've already shown that we can, we can follow public health recommendations. And by that, I mean the very high risk scenarios are when you are in very close contact with people, the conditions are crowded, and it's an enclosed space with poor ventilation. Uh, and so both we've got the issue of red, yellow, green for the situation, but we could also do a, ye- a red, yellow, green for the epidemiology. So, for example, in Hamilton, where obviously I work and I have the best numbers, right now we're in a, a clear green zone where we have no hospitalized, patient, no hospitalized patients, we have no outbreaks, and we have only eight cases under investigation. That means from the epidemiology right now, it would be safe to go out. And, and start to in, in to actually have public interaction, to start to enjoy activities with other people. 
I no none of us is advocating mass rallies with people screaming and no masks. But we are right. saying that I think given that you could you could easily create a low risk environmental encounter in terms of sort of ensuring that you've got the distancing and we know the epidemiology is low, that the green and the green, go ahead and do it. And and I think that because we're in a very good situation right now, it would be very easy to create tools for people that they could actually do their own individual risk assessment. And part of that, of course, should also be that we also know now that pretty much anybody under the age of 60 in Canada is actually not at very high risk at all. Um, And this is not just Canada, but this is everywhere in the world, that this is a disease that very unfortunately has a, a, a... it, it, it really hammered our seniors. But again, it's a bit of a good news story that younger people, and, and younger in this case is even under the age of 69, the mortality in Canada was very low. I mean, in all of our entire country under the age of 60, we've had a 267 deaths. That's in the entire However, and, and, and so it might not be fatal. The mortality yeah. might not be low uh, yeah. or might be low, but, yeah. but um, it might not be fatal. But Apparently, I'm hearing about um, people that say there could be long-term effects from COVID, and okay. and people are finding they get better and then they get worse again, and they're still suffering from it. So I just don't want to people no, to walk away think, thinking that there's no. no risk. No, but again, I think you have to put this in the whole context of everything. That mm-hmm. that is still the vast minority of people, and it would be kind of nice if we actually then focus on the tens of thousands of people who are fine. And so I think it. it's also sort of a proportionality thing that we have we've a tendency to sort of want to report and talk about the disasters, but the good news stories are in some ways less interesting. And I guess it would be better to say, well, this this is the the many many people have it. And I am in no way saying COVID isn't here, and and it is it is not a good thing that has happened to our society, but we have to accept that it's here. And we have to ensure that moving forward, we actually have a society that's functioning, that's healthy, and that and and that that will build for our future. COVID's and- not going away. You've said this before. We have to learn how to coexist yeah. with it until we get a vaccine. I just so, very quickly, because I'm up yeah. against a news yeah. uh, break, but I want to ask you, as a physician, as an expert here that's been dealing with this, are you wiping down groceries anymore, or are you have you stopped I doing never- that? I never wipe down groceries. I just wash. You my don't hands. think we need to do that? Just Absolutely wash your hands. Absolutely not. It is not jumping from a surface onto me. I would have to take my hand and inoculate my eyes, my nose, or my mouth in order to transmit it, even assuming that that was even a, a, a conceivable vector for transmission of infectious disease. All I ever did was wash my hands. After you touch stuff. Yeah, but that's pre-COVID as well, to be fair. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I want to thank yeah. you, Dr. Fulford. Thank you very much. For your time, as always, it's, uh, it, it's you know, I think there's, you've probably made a lot of people feel better about moving into their weekend safety-wise.